0: I became a Christian when I was 17. I'll give you a secret, that's nearly 50 years ago. And I became a Christian based totally on a logical thought. Not surprising, you know, I teach math, everything is, uh, I work things out logically. The thing was, I wasn't convinced God existed, And I wasn't convinced he didn't exist. But I had a logical thought. If he did exist, I would be stupid to ignore him. Logical thought. Someone said, okay, well the only way you're gonna find out is to try. So I figured I'd try. And I prayed. This is what I prayed, more or less. God. I admit I am selfish sometimes, like I said, I'm very clever, very logical, and it's very easy for me to see that I am selfish sometimes, and I equate that with with sin, so, God, I admit I'm selfish sometimes, Uh, please forgive me, and come and be the boss of my life. Five seconds, went to sleep. I woke up the next morning... God had answered my prayer. I've often thought, you know, how how could I ever explain? I went to sleep, it was a nonchalant, God, I don't know if you're for real or not, but if you are, come and be the boss of my life. Absolutely, 100% meant it. But I had no idea if God was for real or not. Thought he might be, which is why I prayed the prayer. And I I was thinking even this morning, you know, how do I explain that? I I can't explain it. It's a bit like, you know, if you're born blind, you know someone who's born blind and you try and explain color to them. It's just impossible. But I knew, I knew the God, the God who would made the universe, the God who'd done so much, the God who'd sent his son to die, the God that that people were willing to die for, the the God that had so many people who worshipped him, that God heard my prayer. And that was my first God encounter. And that's what I'm talking on this morning, I'm talking on encounter, well that was my first one. It was very positive, it was very real, changed my life forever although I have to admit, immediately after it happened, I was disappointed. You know, people say when you have a God encounter, you're never the same. Well, my expectation was, you know, here I am, 17 years old, normal, average sort of person. God, God, God is now living in me. How could I possibly ever make a mistake? And you're all laughing because we know we do still make mistakes even though God lives in us. But that really, really, really was my expectation. I really expected that everything was going to be incredibly different. Well, I was different. I was different. God was now my boss. And like I said, you know, when I prayed that prayer, five seconds. Nonchalant, didn't really know, absolutely meant it. Absolutely, if God was for real, count me in. Count me in, 100% in. Okay, so I looked up what encounter means, and it's an unexpected or casual meeting with someone or something. Synonyms of encounter, meet, meet by chance, run into, run across, come across. Basically, it's when God makes him known to us individually. I'll tell you about another encounter. Mike and I were in Youth with a Mission for a number of years. And at one point, we were working in a ministry, outreach ministry. We have strong heart for outreach. And we were in this outreach ministry. And unfortunately, our leaders... They were a married couple, the wife was a bully. There's there's no other word for it, Uh, but uh, God had called us to this ministry, so we we didn't want to just up and leave, and and we had this uh, prophet coming to speak at one of the YWAM bases, and I worked out what he could say that would tell me he understood what I was going through without giving it away to everyone else. You know, because that was important. I didn't want him to say, oh, you're, you're living under a bully and she's making your life miserable. That, that would not go down too well if you respond to a word like that and your leader's there. So I, I worked it out. I worked it out, what he could say, what prophetic word he could say so that uh, I would know that God understood what I was going through. And word for word, Ken Wright gave that prophecy. Word for word. It was incredible. God encounter. And nothing changed. And nothing changed. She was still a bully. It was still an awful situation. It was still really hard for Mike and I but I knew that God knew and that God was with us. And, and that's the first really important thing I want to say. An encounter with the Lord does not change your situation. It changes you. I, I love comparing King Saul and King David there is so much in those stories. I keep going back and keep looking at them again. And I love comparing these two kings. Now, King Saul, I think he was a really good guy. And I think God chose him because he was the best available at the time. He didn't choose him to punish the Israelites. I think they they demanded a king, so that was in... Uh, 1 Samuel 10. 1 Samuel 10, they, uh, the Israelites said they wanted a king. A little bit later, Saul is anointed king by uh, Samuel. That's my page in Leviticus. But I know where it is because I write it down. 1 Samuel 10, it's a great story. Actually, I'm not going to read it all, but uh, Saul takes a flask and he anoints Saul king. And Saul goes back to his uh, family and he doesn't tell them. And he doesn't go around saying, I'm the king, I'm the king, everyone bow to me. No, he he didn't want to be king. He was humble. He was not interested in being king. And then eventually, uh, Samuel, I mean, eventually it's a matter of days. He's anointed king. Samuel draws lots, and uh, Saul is chosen. He's in hiding. They bring him out. He's anointed king, and he goes back to the fields. This is not an arrogant man at this point. This is not a man who is desperate to be in charge and desperate to be king. He did not want to be king. He goes back to the fields. That's what he does. This is not something that he is looking for. And then chapter 11, Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we'll, subject, we'll be subject to you. And then they went and see if anyone in Israel would help them. And then that's when Saul rose up and got the armies together, not for him, not for his glory, not because he was a proud, arrogant man, but because the Spirit of God anointed him and he led the Israelites out and he defeated the Ammonites. And then after that, they said, oh, Saul, there were these guys who didn't want you to be king. Let's kill them now because now you're king. And and Saul said, no, no. That is not what I want. This is a day for rejoicing. Saul was a good man. I'm not gonna go into the bits where he wasn't so good, but he started off a good man. And yet it's obvious that David, David was so much more than Saul. And so what's the difference? David had a heart after God that was not dependent on things going well for him. David had a heart after God that was not dependent on things going well for him. That is so, so key. And then when we look at the the story of David, and uh, after Saul made a big mistake and did not repent, and I know when I read it, every time I read it, I say, oh, Saul, repent, you silly, silly twit. But of course, I can't change history, but but that's my heart because I think Saul was a good guy, but he got messed up and didn't do well, and then uh, God wasn't pleased with him, And he said, I I want another king. So Samuel goes out, and we know the story. He gets uh, all David's brothers. He goes to David's dad, and he brings out all the brothers. And David's not even there. He's out tending the sheep. And Samuel anoints David as king. And then after that, so that's 1 Samuel 16. Um, After that, what happens to David? Well, he's called into Saul's service as a musician. And then he goes out and he defeats Goliath. And wow, it looks like everything is coming together. God spoke this word and and, uh, David's going to be king. And then it all goes wrong. David does everything right. And it all goes wrong. Saul is jealous. So Saul starts going after David. Saul tries to kill David. David has to run away. Some men go with him. Saul goes after him. David spares Saul's life. And it goes on. And it would seem that it was from when Saul was anointed king to becoming king, it would seem it's about a week. From when David was anointed king to becoming king was 10 to 13 years. 10 to 13 years. That's a long time. Encounters with God, they are wonderful. They're wonderful, but they're not an end in themselves. What is so important is what we do afterwards when the feeling is gone. What do you do when you receive a, a word from the Lord? You know you get a word and and uh, so the Lord says oh you're going to speak to thousands and you think well that's great and I can tell you I've had that reaction I mean I haven't had that word but I've had words strong words from the Lord and I think That's great, and I sit back and I say, well, God said it, so he's gonna bring it to pass, and I wait, and I wait, and I stay faithful. You know, I do my job, I have my prayer time, and I wait, and I wait some more, and and, uh, it doesn't happen. Bill Johnson says, a lot of believers think God is not fulfilling the prophetic words over their lives because they have missed the fact that the word was pointing to their potential, which requires their participation. I'm going to read that again. A lot of believers think God is not fulfilling the prophetic words over their lives because they've missed the fact that the word was pointing to their potential, which requires their participation. So you come forward, you get a word from the Lord. Don't make the mistake I've made where you sit back and wait. Participate, ask God, what do I need to do to bring this to pass? I'm not going to force it to come to pass, but I've got to participate with you, God. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to make myself available so that you can bring this to pass? And I'm gonna keep reminding myself, this is what you said, this is what you said, Lord, and I'm looking to you to bring it to pass and I am gonna be active in this. I've already let out a little hint that I am old. That means I'm closer to glory. (laughs) We're closer to glory. I I was there when the Toronto blessing first started to happen. I was at Cambridge Vineyard. It was a blast. Uh, So many of us were having encounters then. Uh, For me, actually, I, I found it really difficult because I remember what first time there were two ladies. I have no idea who they were. They came from the airport to Cambridge Vineyard and they were gonna preach and we were gonna learn about the blessing. And I, haven't, I don't think they actually said anything because they just started speaking and laughed and fell over. And everyone who went near them fell over and, and it was incredible and I was desperate to be in on this. I've got to, I've got to experience this. And so in the heart of everything happening, I remember going and everyone was receiving prayer. So I'd go forward, yes, yes, and everyone on this side fell down and everyone on this side fell down. So I went into the overflow room, same thing happened, came out again, I looked around the the church and I thought, who has the greatest anointing? It was the pastor. So I go up to the pastor and I say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to experience this. So he prayed for me. And he fell over. He actually uh, got some people to hold him up so that he could pray again. And I did go down. But uh, my, my youngest daughter, Hannah, she was about three at the time. They used to... Uh, then all the little girls would come around and they'd say, oh, let's play church. And they'd put all the cushions on the floor and they'd go up to each other, blah, 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 and fall over, <laughs> blah, 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 and fall over. And that's how they played church when, uh, when my kids were little. And, and I didn't want to miss anything. I didn't want to miss anything. I had to be there. And yet today, every day in my quiet time, I experience God's presence. It is, it is wonderful. But I have experienced difficulties and one of the things that's kept me going, I started off with my experience, my prayer to God. You know, that's kept me going because I experienced God. And even though I'm very logical and I think logically, it's my experiences my encounters with God that have kept me coming back, kept me coming back for more, kept me saying, God, I'm, I'm not gonna give up, I'm not gonna give up, I'm going to keep coming, I am gonna receive more. You know, one of the things that, that uh, really upset me is a lot of my uh, older kids, they were young teenagers at the time, had lots of friends who would go forward, who would get prayer, and a lot of them are no longer walking with the Lord. And and that really upset me, and I I went to God, and I was praying about it. And then I realized the same thing happened with Jesus. I'm going to read Matthew 15, just two verses. I normally write them out, but there were so many. So I was reading through. Matthew 15, after leaving Lebanon, Jesus went to Lake Galilee and climbed a hill nearby and sat down. Then huge crowds of people streamed up the hill, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the formed, mute, and many others in need of healing. They laid them at Jesus' feet, and he healed them all. Healed them all. And then a little bit later we read how it was uh, three days. That's one of the times when uh, they had, he had to feed them because they'd been there three days and he wasn't teaching this time. I'm very careful when I read scripture, you know, what was Jesus doing at this time? Well, he was praying for them, praying for this one to be healed, this one, this one. Didn't miss anyone out. One after another, after another, after another, and they were all healed. Thousands of people were probably healed in Jesus' ministry. And then where were we? Were they when he was crucified? Where were they? And I read this scripture. I'm reading from Mark chapter 3. Yeah, that's the right one. Then Jesus left them and went again into the synagogue where he encountered a man who had an atrophied paralyzed hand everyone was watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath giving them a reason to accuse him him of breaking Sabbath rules Jesus said to the man with the paralyzed hand stand here in the middle of the room then he turned to all those gathered there and said which is it is it against the law to do evil on the Sabbath or to do good to destroy a life or to save one but no one answered him a word. Then looking round at everyone, Jesus was moved with indignation and grieved by the hardness of their heart and said to the man, now stretch out your hand. As he stretched out his hand, it was instantly healed. After this happened, the Pharisees left abruptly and began to plot together with the friends and supporters of Herod Antipas on how they would kill Jesus. So I I read that one in Mark. I'm reading through the Bible. I I hadn't done it for a while, so I'm doing it again this year. That's why I'm in Leviticus, not my favorite place. But, and I I read through Matthew. I mean, God always speaks to me. And I, I just never, things I read so often, that's why I love reading in the different translation things. God always speaks to me. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, Jesus healed thousands. So why is this one here? And it's more than here. It is in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This story is in all three. I mean, there were thousands. Why did they pick this one? He just got a withered hand and it's healed. I mean, yeah, that's great. Why this one? And it's, it's so obviously important. And uh, it's the hand. It's the hand. What do you do with your hand? You work with your hand. There's my work on the back. I write on the board with the hand. I mark things with the hand. People wash, bathe, with the hand, need bread, you work with the hand, you give with your hand, you bless with your hand, you touch. You know, when I started teaching, we were encouraged to touch the children. Now you're not allowed to. But in those days, you were encouraged because touch is so important. You touch, you give, and then God's right hand, it is there so often in scripture. I'm just going to read some. Exodus 15 6. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. Psalm 16:11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Hebrews 1.13, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Psalm 48.10, like your name, O God, your, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. A shriveled right hand does none of these things. We are all helpless before God and all we've got to offer is like a shriveled right hand. But Jesus heals our limitations. Jesus heals our brokenness. Religion can't do that. Doing the right thing can't heal us. But Jesus can. encounters with the Lord. We need encounters with the Lord in order so that he can do what he wants to in and through us so that our shriveled right hand can do what he wants it to do, that we can shatter the enemy because we've had an encounter with Jesus. Because of our encounter, we can live righteous, we can do what God calls us to do. Okay, so how do we respond to an encounter? I am going to one of my favorite stories, Exodus 18. Exodus 18. Oh, actually, I did write this one out, so I am going to read it from here. Exodus 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Here is the first important thing. Abraham welcomed the encounter. He welcomed the encounter. Verse 2, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the, the entrance of the tent to meet them, bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd, didn't walk, ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to his servant, who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now, it could be argued that uh, initially Abraham didn't know it was the Lord, but things that are said later on make it very clear. Verse 10 Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, generally, that would be a clear indication that this is not a normal person. This is God. Abraham so welcomed that encounter. And then later on, even if uh, he didn't get it straight away, verse 16, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they've done is bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So, what do we see in this passage? Well, first of all, Abraham welcomed the encounter. He said, Yes, Lord, more. And then God gave him a fantastic promise a son within a year. And if he hadn't embraced the encounter, would he have received that promise? I don't know. Then we have verse 22, 23, the men turned away and went towards Sodom. And Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And Abraham said to the Lord, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And we have, first of all, Abraham said, for the sake of 50, if there's 50 righteous, and God said, I won't, I won't destroy it if there's 50. And then Abraham said, if there's 45 righteous, I won't destroy it if there's 45. 40, 30, 20, 10. This is Abraham before the Lord. So this is the second thing that I believe that should come from encounter. Intercession. Intercession. Not praying for yourself, but for others. And, you know, I love encounters and I love sitting before the Lord and saying, More, Lord, more, Lord, more. And I love sitting in His presence and saying, Yes, yes, yes. And I do it. And I bask in His love. But there are times. You know, if we love God, there are times when we need to say, God, what's on your heart? What's on your heart right now? And there are a lot of things on God's heart. One of them, I can tell you, is is abortion. You know, I, there's so much anger on the Internet recently because of the, the change of laws in New York and how... Now babies can be uh, killed just before they're born and everyone's up in arms. Well, in Canada, we don't have a law protecting unborn children. Nothing, nothing. And I've always shrugged my shoulders and and said, oh, well, you you won't find a doctor willing to do that. Well, if you do, it's legal. It's legal here in Canada. You can uh, kill a baby just before it's born and you know i used to say my first book was going to be called god's not getting his way enough what are you going to do about him because too late now i've already had my first book but uh and i i used to be you know i, I have a, i have to admit i have a heart for intercession. and when the toronto blessing first happened and when i first began to experience god's presence I used to think, and this was uh, a wrong understanding, but I used to think, oh, God's presence, good, now we should move into intercession, quick, quick, because we've got God's ear, which was a wrong understanding on my heart part, but uh, I, uh, I didn't get to go to the, the renewal uh, conference in Toronto recently, but I did watch some of the things online And I turned it on one time, and I have no idea what what had been happening. But Steve Long suddenly said, ask God what he wants you to care about. I have no idea of the context, but I turned it on, and that's what he said. And so, always ever obedient, I said, okay, God, what do you want me to care about? Abortion. Abortion. And... uh, I didn't want to hear that. I did argue for a little while. It's too big. I'm too small, although I know there are many, many others. So what I've started doing is I uh, pray five minutes every day about abortion. And it's, it's easy. You know, you go for a walk. I walk for about an hour every day or a bit less in this weather. So it's easy, you know, I can put my phone on, five minutes, pray for abortion. And, uh, you know, I'm gonna actually pause right now, just temporarily, because I am gonna continue. And uh, I'm gonna have you ask God, what does he want you to pray for? I'm gonna pray, I just want you to be open. And it could be a person, it could be a country, it could be anything. But God has so much on his heart and he wants his people to be intercessors. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you want to bless us. And I pray right now that you would speak to each one of us and just tell us what do you want us to be praying for. Amen. It doesn't take long to hear from God. God's put something on your heart. Take two minutes every day. Two minutes, not difficult. Two minutes every day to pray for that person, that situation, write it down. You may need to do some research. You know, if God spoke into your heart Greenland and you don't know anything about Greenland Then do a little bit of research. It's not difficult. It was very easy for me. I was doing research on abortion. Absolutely uh, terrified me. But do a little bit of research and then pray every day. Two minutes, five minutes if you can. But put the timer on, time yourself. So back to uh, encounter. And let me say, you know, I, I talked about Abraham. He welcomed the encounter. It is so easy to shut down what God wants to do. It is so easy. I went to U of W, which is, of course, University of Wales. David, So I went there, and I remember there was a uh, young man another student, and he wanted to uh, pray in tongues. And uh, so I prayed with him, so that he could pray in tongues, and he did. He prayed in tongues, he had the experience, he was excited, he knew it was God, and he said, I don't want it. <clears throat> shut it down, never prayed in tongues. Well, to my knowledge, I, who knows what's happened now, but shut it down. I, I often think, you know, when, when uh, Jesus died on the cross, and the curtain to the Holy of Holies was torn from the top down to the bottom, signifying that the way into the Holy of Holies was now open. I often wondered, what did the priests do after that? There's no way they left it torn. My expectation is they sewed it up again. So easy to do so easy and and i have to admit there are times when i've been afraid of what god's doing i don't like it i it, i'm not you know it doesn't look good i'm not in control i look stupid this this isn't nice i don't like it but then again my logical mind tells me no it's god and i'm i'm uh, going to let god have his way but i believe the most important thing and i've got a few more scriptures here i love these scriptures the most important thing is to know that God loves you. Know that God loves you. So that then if you are a blubbering mess on the floor or if you're doing something and you think you look stupid, and it, you don't care because you know that God loves you. And there's this scripture, the first one. Song of Songs, 710. And I have spent several episodes just in this scripture and it says i belong to my beloved and his desire is for me i belong to my beloved and his desire is for me i belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. And when I doubt God's love, I'll spend time in that scripture. And this one, Zephaniah 3, 14 to 17. Sing, daughter Sion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. And then this is the bit I really love. He will take delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I go to these scriptures. I love these scriptures. They remind me of how much God loves me. And then there's my favorite one. Someone uh, asked me on the internet the other day, what's your favorite book in the Bible? Oh, it has to be Ephesians. I love Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians, they're all about how much God loves you how much God has done for you, who you are in Christ. And then because of that, the last three chapters are your response. I love Ephesians. I'm going to read from the Passion, Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. So I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect father of every father and child in heaven and on the earth. And I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. That's the bit. The resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. I go to those scriptures, I go to them, I know, I am reminded that I am loved, that God's desire is for me, that God wants, wants to spend time with me. And then whatever he requires of me, I'm not afraid because I'm loved. I'm not fearful because I'm loved. And my favorite uh, band has to be the David Crowder band. He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I'm a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. How great your affections are for me. You know, Paul wrote the letter to Ephesians as a prisoner in Rome. Read those first three chapters Recognize where Paul was when he is riding them. We are loved. We are loved. An encounter with the living God will help you recognize that you can change the world. It can be a defining moment in your life and make you a powerhouse for the kingdom, but it doesn't mean that everything will go perfectly for you afterwards what is so important is that you know that god is with you that you know that god is with you i i remember you know i must have heard in my years hundreds and hundreds of sermons and i remember one as if it were yesterday i had no clue the name of the guy who did it it was a missionary. And he stood there and he said, I'm going to read from uh, Isaiah 43 to you. And he said, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, don't fear. I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be watching over you. And when you pass through the rivers, there I'll be watching When you walk through the fire, and he went on and on. And he says, don't be afraid, because I'm watching over you. That's verse 5. And I remember sitting there, and I remember what I was thinking. And I was thinking, oh, that's so nice. That's so nice. God's going to be watching over me, everything I go through. And then suddenly the missionary said, no, that's not what it says. That's not what it says in Isaiah 43. What it says is, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. And then verse 5, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And God has spoken this word to me so often. You know, whether I'm going to face a, a, a class or whether I'm just walking the dog or walking along the beach, the word that God keeps giving me, I will be with you. I am with you. So God is with us. We need to follow hard after the direction that he's called us to go. We need to spend time with him. We need to wait on him. We need to decide that we're going to be like David and not like Saul. That we are going to continue to have a heart after God no matter what our circumstances, no matter what is good or bad going on around us, we will continue to seek God. And then we will be ready for that last encounter. 1 Thessalonians 4 16 to 17. For the Lord himself will appear with the declaration of victory, the shout of an angel and the trumpet blast of God. He will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ to rise first. Then we who are alive will join them, transported together in clouds to have an encounter with the Lord in the air. And we will be forever joined with the Lord. Amen. Now, I I would really like to have uh, a prayer time. Normally, I like to just finish and run and sit down, but uh, I felt I was praying this morning, and I felt I needed to uh, go into ministry. And I, I had a picture of people coming forward for prayer, and in my picture, I saw them dragging things behind them. And I was saying, well, what, what, what is it that, that, that people are dragging? What, what are they dragging, Lord? And, and I, I felt very much it was where people had felt God had let them down, where they felt they'd received promises and they hadn't come to pass, where they felt God had said something and, and it didn't happen. And we can forgive... Even if it's not the person's fault. I mean, I, I remember in YWAM this person coming up to Mike and I and saying, I forgive you for having a car. And it's like, oh. Because in YWAM, you know, youth without any money and uh, we'd managed to have enough money and we'd got a car and, and it had obviously upset this person that we could afford it. And it, well, you know, that, that didn't help us much, but God can cope. If you need to forgive him if you think he's let him let you down then you can tell him you forgive him because the most important thing when you you you're dragging something along is to release it and forgiveness is a way of releasing it. So uh I would like to give opportunity for anyone who who that applies to if you would like to to come forward for prayer but first of all release forgiveness. Release forgiveness to God. I know it's not God's fault. It's never God's fault, but sometimes we think it is. Release forgiveness, and then the most important thing is we need to make that choice, that choice to pursue God no matter what happens, no matter what happens. And uh, I know I've I started. Uh, I really like the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're about to be thrown into the flames, and they say, God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship your idols. And, and that's me. You know, I believe God can set me free from anything and everything. And if he doesn't do it right now, I am not going to give up. I am not going to get negative. I am not going to speak something that is sin. I am going to continue to love God and trust, trust Him, and we need to make that choice, that choice that we're going to follow God, follow God whatever happens.